Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. On our show today, a moral dilemma. Whether or not to call out a cyclist who may be sandbagging. A member of the Pace Line has gone public with his experience, and he's still pulling the barbs out of his skin. A line in the sand has been drawn, and it could divide the entire mountain biking community. Our attack counterattack segment will focus on a letter written by the former chairman at IMBA, and we will try and read between the lines. And as the pace line goes through the feed zone, we find in our musette one of the top rock and roll singers of our time. He's a so-so cyclist, but a magnificent humanitarian. That's all on the pace line today. Of course, the pace line would be nothing without the fatcyclist.com and the man we affectionately call Fatty. Why, thank you for being affectionate, I mean. Well, we try to, you know, be cuddly here on, on the pace line. It's not all pain. Just pain management. Uh, the Pace Line also backed by redkiteprayer.com. Patrick Brady checking in with us. Hey there. Hi there, Patrick. Good to have you guys along. Um, gosh, we're just uh, past, what, the first of the year now, and I know I've been doing a lot of work in Google Calendar, my favorite, one of my favorite little uh, applications, just trying to map out the year, you know, not only with doctor's appointments and things, honeydews, but... The race season, I mean, try to put down what I'd like to do, what I see out there that looks fun to do, prioritize that list. But uh, it can be kind of hard to pick out, gee, what what are my target events this year? What are my A races? What am I going to put a big star by and say, yeah, that's the one. And say, Fatty, I saw you wrote in, in a recent blog post, in fact, that your race calendar, despite being from Fatty, is actually getting thinner this year. Why is that? And and what have you got for a, a priority race this year? Oh, you know, I have been doing so much racing for the last two years that really you know, I, I need to pull back a little bit just so that my kids continue to recognize me. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's a little bit of the pullback. That said, uh, when it really comes right down to it, most of the races that I do are ones that I love and cannot bring myself to say, nope, I'm not going to do that one this year. And that is definitely true of my A event. Are, are, are we ready to start saying what our A events are? Sure. Or okay. A's if you have plural. <laughs> AA, that, that does sound like a group that we, uh, well, never mind. <laughs> so, but yeah, I have, two, I have two A events, I would say. And the first one is one that probably everyone who has ever heard of me knows is my A event is Leadville, but I'm not going to talk about Leadville because people already know about that. My other A event, and this is the event that I love more than any other and have ever since I did it the first time, I think four years ago, is actually called the Rockwell Relay, and it is a road event. And it is unusual, it is small, it is close to home, and it is just outrageously fun. Um, the idea behind it is you start in Moab, Moab, Utah, of course, and you race to St. George team of four. Each segment is about 40 miles long. You know, team, uh, team rider one goes to the first section team rider hands a baton to the next person who goes another 40 miles and so on and so forth. And you go until you get there. Um, I believe it's about 520 miles all told. So everyone's riding more than a hundred miles. And you just, uh, when you are not riding, you are in the van supporting your team. And so that you're either riding or you're driving or you are prepping bottles and gel or you are recovering and stripping off the shorts to hang them out to drive before your next one. It is just an outrageously intense, fun, and beautiful event. You see some southern Utah uh, scenery that is just remarkable. So that's my number one A event for the year. So it's Rockwell Relay. It's point to point? Yes, it is. And, and then how do the transfers work? How do you, do you have to hopscotch and get ahead so you can take the next baton? Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, each team each team has a van and you're supporting your team member until you get, you know, about, you know, 15 miles 
within the transfer and then you hop ahead, get the next person out so they have a bike in. There is a physical baton, which is a slap bracelet that you give to the next person. Um, or I, actually, last year they switched over to a timing chip so that it's a little bit more mm-hmm. high tech. But um, you know, the timing chip gets handed from one person to the next and then they just go. And you get the the person who had just finished into the van and, you know, they rest for a little while while you drive and catch up to your racer and start supporting them again. So it's just you're playing leapfrog for, oh, boy, you know, 24 hours or more. 28 hours is about how long we usually take to do it. Mm-hmm. So Okay, now I have to ask a question here. Is the whole of the team, the riders, are there no additional support people doing driving and bottle fixing and that sort of thing? Oh, that's totally up to the team. Um, oh, I, okay. Every time I've ever done it, I just do it with a strict four because I actually really love doing the self-supported thing. That said, I would say probably most of the teams have a designated driver and or crew people who can you know take care of the you know take care of the racers but um you know we we just have a van you know one van four people four bikes and everyone is always doing something and i I really love the intensity of that that i am cheering i'm waving a cowbell i'm driving i am prepping bottles you know i am just I, i i literally never have the urge to even sleep for a minute there's something thing. wrong with you. <laughs> I just love There's it. Just something wrong with that. <laughs> you are enjoying everything that there is to love about racing. You are being a crew. You are being a cheerleader. You are being a racer. You know, you're you are on the sidelines watching it. It's everything all at once. It is just. It is nuts and it is wonderful. So, for your forty mile segment, <laughs> what? What level of riding are you trying to sustain? Is that is that a lactate threshold effort? Are you trying to go as, just about as hard as you can over a 40-mile period, or is the pacing somewhere beneath that? Oh, it's actually really cool that way. Um, I personally am going absolutely at my limit. I, you know, I'll, I'll let's, let's make a, a note to ourselves to, on the show notes, I'll put up some of my Stravas for this that is, I am going as hard as I possibly can. Um, that said, there are there is a race category category yeah, a race category uh, for people who just want to tourist it because a lot of people are not interested in trying to get to a podium. They just want to do, have an amazing, you know, group, family, friends, you know, team building, whatever exercise where they get to see this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, different people are going for different things. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm always in a co-ed category as you might expect, because my wife is a hardcore racer and we, you know, we are going full tilt. Everyone is going at their absolute 100% limit. Um, not everyone is like that. So you train how, what, what, take me through, you know, the six weeks of training you'll put in, what type of efforts will you do to specifically get ready for the event? So I'm, uh, I generally am racer one. Um, although I have been racer three, um, and, and two actually once I, the only leg I've never done is four. Um, and you go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you have to maintain your order. Uh, you can't, you can't swap it out. And racer one tends to have a lot of climbing. And so knowing that for me, the training has to do with, okay, I need to be able to do 40 miles with 5,000 feet of climbing at my absolute limit. So those are the tests that I will put up for myself. What, what special do you need to have? Not talking about physically, but equipment wise, is there anything special you need for the, for the event? Oh, you know, I would say no. Um, that's really kind of what's nice about it. It's um, you, need because, a, you need a van. You do need the van. Yeah, and, and and I'm lucky in that I have friends who have a sprinter van. I would say a sprinter van is the most awesome thing mm-hmm. ever for this. Although you see a lot of RVs and people with RVs think that those are just perfect. But the first oxygen. <laughs> and the the first uh, first year I did it though. There was a team of four of us, and we operated out of a Honda Odyssey, you know, which is just a minivan, mm-hmm. right? And we put a four-bike rack on it, and we did fine. That's yeah. cool. So what time of year did you say that was? 
It is June 18th, my birthday. So could be heat involved too then, right? Or there is oh, heat yeah. involved. Yeah, there, brutal heat. There's almost certain to be heat involved. And a couple of times there has actually been snow involved because you do go over some big mountain passes. Love that. Well, well Patrick... We're talking like 2% humidity, right? Yeah. <laughs> Patrick, you're in a new section of California, at least for you. Um, so what kind yeah. of opportunities are opening up and what's on your bucket list? Well, I think maybe the first thing that I need to just own up to is that um, I stopped racing with any regularity. Uh, I stopped calling myself a racer after the 2002 season. So, I mean, mostly when I pin on a number, it's been for Grand Fondos and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, this year is definitely going to be different. I'm going to do uh, all of the events in the Grasshopper Series. Uh, unless something happens to take me out of town during one of those, but I'm doing all of those and I'm also planning to do every event that bike monkey produces, uh, Anadel, uh, the, the Boggs replacement, uh, Boggs isn't happening this year right. because, uh, that part of Lake County burned. And so, uh, Wente Vineyards has put up uh, a venue, uh, where they will host a, a kind of substitute race this year, um, while they allow, that land to start to recover some. Um, and, uh, let's see, what are some of the other things I've thought? There are a couple other gravel events that I'm looking at. I'll probably go back to rock cobbler once again. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as an actual a event, I haven't really nailed anything down that way too much. I, I suspect that I will probably hit some sort of, uh, good plateau of form, from April into May, uh, just given the way my training's going now. And so that could give me, uh, kind of, kind of good timing for a couple of the gravel events. Um, and then I'll probably go easier, uh, through the summer and would, if possible, like to take a, a run at a full cross season this fall. So, um, yeah, not much in the way of A's, but a whole lot more number pinning this year i may actually have to join a team once again imagine that hmm. uh, i just uh if i can avoid getting uh, a usac license that's that's kind of where I, my cutoff is i'm definitely not going to be doing any industrial park crits or anything like right. that well you are a team i mean rkp is <laughs> represent let's go There's nothing uh, wrong with that no no i and i've done plenty of that but you know uh, maybe have a few other friends flying the same colors. You know, I've, I've never been averse to that. So. Okay. Well, I'm going to borrow yeah. from, from both of your worlds. Uh, first of all, like Patrick, I have fallen head over heels for the Grasshopper Adventure Series in Sonoma County. Absolutely love what Miguel Crawford is doing up there. Uh, old Kaz. I did old, old Kaz last year. King Ridge Supreme. Two really good events. I think I have my eyes, at least for the spring. I kind of divide my season up into spring Something in the spring, I target, and then usually something in the, the summer at some point, too. So, for me, the spring event will likely be um, the Super Sweetwater, which is a Grasshopper Adventure Series event. Uh, it is similar to Old Casadero, where you have a mix of gravel and road, but kind of favors the road a little bit more. Miguel says in his description that, you know, as opposed to Old Cas, where a cross bike is definitely it, usually cross bike with anywhere from 32s to 40s on it. For Super Sweetwater, a road bike, as long as you can get 28s or 30s on it, probably going to be the best choice. And this is what I love about events like the Grasshopper events, um, is that the bike itself, too, becomes this dilemma, becomes part of your, your thinking and your planning and your process. Can you nail the equipment? Can you get your fitness right? Can you time your fitness properly? Can you get your nutrition right? And can you nail the equipment? And that's what I love about something like the Grasshopper events and Super Sweetwater in particular is bike choice, tire choice, gear choice. All that stuff's going to be critical, especially when you're talking about 70 miles, 9,000 feet of climbing, and the yeah. wacky way that roads have been routed in Sonoma County. You know, uh, that county, uh, they, they didn't bother with switchbacks anywhere. They saw a hill. Uh, whoever <laughs> the founders were in that county, the original pioneers, that, they just went straight up stuff. They didn't care about making anything easy there. What? Got to get to the top of the hill? Take the road straight up it. So those are the issues. So I, got, I go. got to share a little something. When I was doing uh, Levi's uh, this past fall, uh, 
uh, and we were way out on the uh, the outer loop of the Panzer uh, Panzer route. I actually met a guy whose grandfather had led a mule train that made some of the roads in Sonoma County. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, the stories he was telling me about some of the places that his grandfather had gone to lay down roads. It's like, wow, right. this dude was he was grounds uh, ground zero for. Uh, the the birth of what you know what we know as Sonoma County and and the terrain there, mm-hmm. um, pretty amazing mule trains. Yeah. So the super sweet sweet water in the spring. I think it's late April. I guess I should get the date down so I can uh, get my fitness in order. As Miguel Crawford, the founder <laughs> of the series, says, "Not a gravel run grinder, and it's not a road race. It's a magical mystery tour of sorts, deep in West Sonoma County." Now I do have a second A race and. Fatty, this is where you come in. It is Leadville. I'm in Leadville for the fourth time. There's no ignoring it. I mean, you put Leadville on your calendar, it instantly becomes an A race. You can't go there and go, well, I'm just going to go and, you know, it's going to be just a B race for me, or I'm just going to try and fit. I'm just going to be. It doesn't work that way there. It's too extreme. It's too crazy. There's too much going on. There's a lot of planning involved. There's a lot at stake, too. You're talking about you take a week off. You tell your friends you're going to enter this wacky event. You try and set yourself a goal. You're headed to 10,000 feet. A lot of stuff can go wrong. So you really do have to, you're forced to treat it like an A event once you're in the darn thing. And for once, I uh, won the lottery and got in. Um, So this will be my fourth time there. And for the second time, I'm going back with a little redemption in mind. In 2011, I went to Leadville and kind of messed things up. Um, I had all the fitness in the world but was not, um, I didn't take a good firm stance on the type of time I wanted to lay down. I kind of gave myself some wiggle room to not get a gold buckle. And what happened? I didn't get a gold buckle. I got nine hours and change, which is exactly what I deserve with that attitude. You got to go in there and say, hey, I'm breaking nine hours and that's it. That's all I'll settle for. So I went back in 2013 after the kind of the failure of 2011 and took the right attitude. I wrote on my top tube, only one set of numbers. And that was a set of numbers that got me some some splits that got me under nine hours. And hence, I got a gold buckle. Last year, I went to Leadville this past summer. And my idea was to um, actually help somebody else get a gold buckle. Which I thought, man, this could be cool. I could pace. This guy was a 60-year-old or 61-year-old. Had a really good shot not only at getting a gold buckle, but winning his category. Um, so I thought, I'm going to go and pace this guy and see if um, I can help him achieve both of those goals, which I thought would be cool. I know it sounds terribly self-righteous and everything, but bear with me. We didn't do it. Bottom line was I ran into some mechanical problems. He did too. We kind of came up short. And when that happens, you kind of go, ah, got bad taste in my mouth. So again, in 2016, I'm going to go back to Leadville with a little redemption of mine and try to get it right. Try to kind of, you know, round out my scene there with the, on a good positive note on a side note regarding Leadville. Again, it got, it has that equipment bug too, that I love about it. It's like, do you, are you making the right tire choice? Are you making the right inflation choice? Should I go with extra padding on my bars? Uh, do I run two by or one by? And I've thought, and tell me your thoughts on this too, fatty. Regarding Leadville, the bike setup that keeps coming back to me that I am interested in maybe trying is a geared 29er with a rigid front fork. Now, No, don't do it. No, don't do it. Why not? I've done it. (laughs) You've done rigid single speed, right? And I've done rigid geared. And what happened? I've done this race 19 times. I've I've tried every possible combination. (laughs) What happened? Uh, You know, a, a, a rigid fork is going to cost you more than it's going to save you on that. You know, it's easy to think that there's a 15 miles of flat when you look at the when you look at the profile, uh-huh. but it isn't flat. You're never really going flat, and you are hitting stuff all the time and coming down power line and coming down the first three miles of Columbine, and there can be washboarding on Columbine. There are just too many instances where the pound and a half of weight savings is simply not worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, give your give yourself the advantage of a suspension fork, but ride a hardtail. You don't need you don't need full suspension. Oh, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you don't have it, hardtail without question, and that, that's mm-hmm. an easy call. I tell you what, I, if I'll do if I try it, if I think about doing it, 
I'll try it at home first. I mean, you always experiment with that stuff at home, especially when you're talking about A races. You get that stuff cleared up. You get the nutrition cleared up. You make sure that the shoes fit, the saddle's right. And if you want to try some different gear, I mean, you go out on your little practice course and do it. Then decide. I mean, I've got the sense here where they're gravelly and rough. And it just had occurred to me that, man, it seemed like somebody could, if they're strong enough, had enough upper body, um, could really absorb that kind of shock physically. They could go just pretty you. darn fast there with that type of setup. There's just not enough of you. Mm, probably not. <laughs> it's probably uh, misguided. I, I, I will tell you that out of the, I think, five times that I've got sub nine, all of them I've had front suspension. Okay. So, Eldon, yeah. now, um, you know, you've been listening as I've been listening. I haven't heard him state any sort of goal. That was what I was going to say. Is, is still to waiting to hear a uh, number, Michael. Oh, at Leadville. Yes. Oh, I have to break nine hours again. Yeah, I think I need another gold buckle out of that place. Yep. No, 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 no. You, uh, no, no. Breaking, no. I want an actual number. Oh, an actual number. Yeah. Uh, Well, my best time there is 8.35, so better than that. Okay, 8.34. Okay. How about that? That sounds pretty good. 29, come on. Oh, you want sub 8.30. Okay, well, we'll mark that down. Let's mark down 8.29. I I tell you, it's... It is amazing how much a goal can affect you. Mm-hmm. Um, just, to, I mean, I, I will try not to turn this into uh, Fatty's reminiscing hour for Leadville, but a couple of years ago, um, Reba Rush was taking, uh, was mentoring uh, Lisa uh, through that race and, you know, basically was, you know, working with her to help her get a sub nine there. And just through sheer luck and coincidence, I was single speeding at that year, and we all wound up on the pavement at the same time. So Celine Yeager, Rebecca Rush, my wife Lisa, and me all, you know, riding in a row. And it was just, I mean, it was was a pretty cool moment. Mm -hmm. But the, um, Lisa had given her, her all and was just caving. And I looked at my Garmin and said, okay, you got sub nine for sure. Anyway, it's, it, she could have she could have crawled and got sub nine at that point. I said, if you kill yourself right now, you can get sub eight forty. If you don't kill yourself and go easy, you're going to get eight forty or eight forty one. Would you rather have your number be start with an eight thirty or with an eight forty? She found it and, and crushed it at eight thirty eight. Nice. Yeah. That's what we like. That's an A race. That's that is the way to attack an A race. That'll that'll satisfy a whole season. <laughs> well, and here's the thing about A races. I mean, whether it be Leadville or Levi's Grand Fondo or La Marmotte or what have you. When you relay. Yeah. When you commit like that mentally and physically, they become this this part of you. I mean, that's why Fatty and I, we talk about Leadville all the time. I mean, it comes up in your conversations all the time. Sure. All your big, great events do, and that's, that's what makes them cool. That's why you target and say, yeah, that's my A event. Pace line moves on to our surprise segment, and this time it comes right from uh, the web pages of fatcyclist.com. Fatty, I've been reading your uh, four-part series on Crusher and the Tusher, mostly for uh, recon purposes. I'm, you know, I'm trying to sell myself on this idea that that's a ride I need to do, and I probably do. Oh, you should. And based on what you've written, um, yeah, I think I should probably try and get there one of these days. Um, but in the the last part, part four. Um, was about the finish of the race, which was actually quite dramatic. And your description was pretty cool, too, about how you came across and you watched your wife come across. And you made some observations in the end about um, someone who won their category and whether or not uh, that person had raced in the proper category, that is, and how equitable or not this whole situation was. Why don't you 
pick up the story from there and tell us kind of what's what's happened in the process and some of your thoughts about you know how we police ourselves how we put ourselves into races what we should be doing when we sign up for events yeah so i don't want to get too much into a retelling of the story except for to say that uh someone uh won their age group category by more than 30 minutes and that was a greater disparity than they would have uh than any pro one and it would have put this person on the pro podium and so i i called that person out and i called that person out by full name and i got a lot of angry comments and a few supportive comments as well but the thing is, um, after after I let it cool for a couple of days, I went and edited it a little bit to remove full name because it was showing up on first page on Google. And that didn't seem, you know, it seemed like I was perhaps, you know, I was being meaner than perhaps that person deserved. And I started thinking a little bit more about the question of, you know, from that person's perspective, uh, were they sandbagging? Because if you know from the way that this person's comment or friends co- were commenting, it would say, the answer would seem to be no. And that sort of brings up to the question: Does anyone think that they are a sandbagger? And if not, <laughs> then what do we do to tell our friends you may be a sandbagger if? And, and, you know, what, what is the if there? I'd be interested in hearing your guys' uh, point of view on that. Uh, that's a whole post right there. You may be a sandbagger if. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a stand-up comedy routine. If, right you win a national, if you win a national title, you may be a sandbagger <laughs> if you stay in your age group. You know, I mean, I'm, I don't have, um, I don't, have a lot of sympathy for this. For me, you know, it's a way to skew competition. And if you're skewing competition by outside measures, um, that's doping. That's just doping. It's cheating. Um, and so I just, I, I don't have any way to try to be empathetic or sympathetic or, you know, find some sort of kindness within me for it. Um, I respect that it's it's normally sandbagging is um, it's an action by an experienced racer. OK, this is not something newbies do. And so the one question I would have asked uh, had I been in your position and see that person, you know, finish and just kill it in their age group is like, well, is this like, you know, one of the first half dozen times they've done this sort of race uh, you know, they've, they've been in this sort of category. Is this something where they're just a phenom? And if you can't answer in the uh, affirmative that, you know, they're, they're just a, a mutant, you know, who's just recently be, been unleashed, um, then yeah, you've got a sandbagger. Um, and I remember some years back when I was working uh, for uh, Peterson Publishing, uh, our floor was full of all the two-wheeled device magazines. So there were a bunch of motorcycle magazines on the floor. And uh, one, uh, one Monday morning, the guys came back from some motocross event, and it turned out that, like, basically everybody on staff had downgraded uh, a full category because word had been circulating that, you know, people were downgrading. And it ended up that, you know, press called out other press for sandbagging even go even though they were all doing it hmm. uh, and it was just one of those things it's like well, y'all are just you're just swimming in mud you know nobody's got any moral high ground here uh, but it was kind of amazing to me that guys who were so experienced could have been intimidated into downgrading a category just because they were trying to figure out what the appropriate level of competition was going to be you know it's like well if all my friends are downgrading you know, and all these other guys are downgrading, then I should downgrade as well. And I was like, oh, this is just silly. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I don't really have anything charitable to say for sandbagging. So do you think it's possible to call out a, you know, say, you know, take away the whole blog and this isn't someone who I know personally. Um, is it possible to call out a friend and say, 
you know, you may want to upgrade it, it, without getting the bad blood. Is I it- was I was at mountain bike events in New England years and years ago where, you know, once we all saw a guy get his third win, you know, everybody standing there would just yell, move him up, move him up. And it was done in a friendly way, but it was a very clear message that, dude, you're through with us. It's time for you to upgrade. You know, let us have our race. Mm-hmm. I, I think absolutely you can tell fellow racers, hey, in a nice way, hey, you look, you're looking really strong. There's a way to do this, too. You don't have to just yell it out at them or, you know, uh, belittle them. You can walk up to them and say, man, you're looking really strong. You're racing really strong. Have you thought about moving up? Do you have the points to move up yet? Seems like you would. How how are you feeling about that? Are you nervous about doing that? As a way to soft sell just about anything like that. And they'll get the picture if enough people say say that to them. You know, my other question regarding this, or my question regarding this, is what responsibility do the race organizers have in all of this to try and check on or at least get an idea who's entering categories? I mean, this person you wrote about couldn't have been a secret to the folks who were running that event. I mean, they probably had an idea who that person was and whether or not Mm -hmm. they belonged in that category. Are the organizers, should we hold them responsible too for who they allow in? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I can tell you that in this case, um, Burke Swindlehurst has a very, um, uh, you make your choice, you accept your consequences point of view because this was not the first person who has ever gotten grief for sandbagging at this event and essentially he says if you choose and essentially you're when you climb up on the podium you're making a public statement Mm -hmm. that this is where i belong and if other people think that you don't then you know you you accept the consequences so you know it's that that that's his point of view and i think that it's an interesting and really fair-minded point of view but you know, does it, but does it result in fair, uh, a fair podium choice for people who, you know, perhaps would have otherwise won? Yeah, and the fact mm-hmm. is that racer turned around and just did it again. You said that person had done it twice, entered the same category, won the same category. Is that is that how it went? I mean, that's... Mm, hasn't won the same category, has entered for this year. Okay, I got you. Look, I, I come from golf, too. Here's my personal side. I come from golf. I was a golfer before a, a cyclist, at least competitively. And golf has a, a mess of a problem with the same idea. They use the same word, sandbagging. They work on an honor system with the handicap system. Everyone, if People who want to compete have to have a handicap. Or if you want to bet on the golf course, you generally have a handicap. But it's all done on the honor system. I mean, guys and gals walk up to a computer at their club or at their local course they enter their score there's no double checking supposedly your playing partners are supposed to be looking over your shoulder as you you're putting scores down or marking scores but what happens people inflate they make numbers bigger bigger handicap means you're in, you're in a different flight in a tournament so you're a better player with a larger handicap suddenly you have a little bit more of an advantage i mean this type of garbage goes on on a lot of levels. I don't know if it goes on in street hoops, but organized events where there's money or prestige or a trophy at stake, somebody's going to find a way to work around the system. And Fatty, I also wanted to bring up another point that's kind of parallel to this, not exactly the same, and that's what goes on at an event you and I continually talk about, which is the Leadville Trail 100. <laughs> and I have it a may huge, be time to admit I we have lo- a problem. <laughs> I love the event. It, as much as anybody out there, but I have a real problem, and this probably goes, this is not just Leadville, this happens elsewhere too. I have a real problem when when a, when a any racer who's clearly a pro or races in the pro open category finishes high or even wins that category and then also is awarded first place in their age group. This goes on at Leadville. And Rebecca, we love Rebecca, right? But Rebecca can clean up a trophy in the women's category, the open category, and in her age category. How much sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense. And that falls on the organizers. They have to clean that stuff up. If they really want to be all-inclusive and everyone gets a chance and everyone has a shot at a trophy and we're all like little leaguers running around, we all get our trophies, then you got to make it fair. you got to open it up better than, than happens in some instances. I agree. Um, 
with the caveat that uh, Rebecca, for the, at least the last couple of years, has not raced Leadville. She's ridden Leadville, um, supporting someone else who has an objective. Uh, someone from the Phoenix Foundation last year mm-hmm. was looking to get his best time, and she helped him get a, I think a, a ten thirty or something like that. You know, and she was, and the year before she was actually riding with my wife Lisa and helped her get the sub nine that she was after. And obviously, neither of those times was she. Um, targeting her, you know, targeting a win of any type. That said, the year she did help Lisa um, and work with Lisa, Lisa was the fastest non-pro woman in Leadville that year, I believe, or the wow. f- fastest woman who was n- who has never been a pro at Leadville. She got on no podium. Okay. How, that, does, that how does that work? Wrong. That's because the pro open women – Took they, her took podium. The age, they took the age group podium. They took the age group podiums as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote the Leadville folks about this a couple of years ago when I first when I first raced the event. I said, This is this is just not equitable. You have to you have to straighten this out. You have to make it right. There's, double dipping like this does not do anybody any good. But you know, they're they're gonna run their event the way they see it. That's fine. It is a big event and very successful. And so I don't does. have to worry about podium. <laughs> uh, you are going to be 50 this year or not? Are you 49? That's right. I, I am going to be 50 you when I You do have to worry about podium then, yes. You should worry about podium. Mm-hmm. Bring I some, can dream. Bring something nice to wear. <laughs> You've accepted a challenge to ride your mountain bike across the tallest, the toughest, the baddest mountains in the state of Colorado, and you've got to do that in less than 12 hours. You're better than you think you are, and you can do more than you think you can. Thanks for finding the pace line. Um, attack, counterattack. Sounds like a roadie term, but we're going to twist it a little bit and make it about mountain bikes today. You see, uh, the former chairman of the International Mountain Biking Association has found a new home with the Sustainable Trails Coalition. John Bliss becomes an STC board member and he's accepted the post in grand style by ripping Imba a new one. He wrote an open letter to mountain bikers to explain his switch to STC. One of his first points was there ought to be a law. And that law would be the Human-Powered Wildlands Travel Management Act of 2016. What it basically would do would reform the blanket nationwide bicycle ban in wilderness areas. The federal government could declare a wilderness area And if they do so, if you've been riding mountain bikes in that area, you're officially shut down from riding in that area due to the uh, designation. Here's some more from Bliss. This is a pretty intense, pointed letter he wrote to both mountain bikers. It was really addressed to mountain bikers, but you could tell he was trying to get under the skin of Imba with some of the stuff he had to say here. He said, Imba... International Mountain Biking Association has historically and consistently demonstrated disinterest in seeking changes to the current wilderness law. He said IMBA has opted to side with the status quo, preferring relationship preservation over the potential to reinstate mountain biker access where appropriate. He went on to say and criticize how IMBA was structured, because IMBA is a 5013C, which means it cannot lobby. It's got, you know, it's got a status tax-wise. It prevents it from going before Congress or two Congress people and trying to make a point about what they want to do. STC, his new place, is different. There are 501C4, which is designed to permit lobbying. It's just, that's kind of where he's going with this. He's saying, look, folks, we're the group that can actually get something done for you legislatively because we won't be penalized on the tax end if we do so. But he went on to thrash away at Imba, he said it's a 28-year-old bureaucracy becoming increasingly bureaucratic. 
Imba has been invited but has declined to support the Sustainable Trails Coalition. He also said Imba has repeatedly said it shares their goals, the STC goals, of a larger vision about mountain bikes, but differs on the tactics. He said that Imba supports a we-don't-support-you-please-go-away type of policy. Finally, he wrapped up by saying, I look forward to a day where my right to seek solitude on a bike doesn't take a backseat to similar solitude-seeking rights of hikers or equestrians. I hope you'll join me in supporting STC's reasonable and limited efforts. Thank you, John Bliss, STC board member, former IMBA chair, 2010. Quite a letter. Obviously, yeah. he's um, he's got many arrows pointed in, in several directions. Patrick, what did you what did you make of this? What did you think of his tactics? Do you buy into what he's saying? Uh, it's a masterful letter. I loved it. Just loved it. I, I mean, I love uh, a good, strong verb, and that letter was full of them. Um, I've I've already been uh, seeing the the challenges uh, that you know Imba presents in terms of not putting forward an agenda that supports uh, mountain biking in the way that I and many other people think that mountain biking should be uh, supported. And it's, it's important to note, I don't think people would understand the issues that the sport is facing, that cycling as a whole is facing uh, with wilderness areas had not been for, um, God, what was the huge preserve up in Idaho getting closed down? Uh, you know, once that wilderness designation uh, was placed on all that land outside of Ketchum, uh, suddenly places that, you know, Rebecca Rush and uh, Chopper Randolph and all these people who were so well respected within that community, they, all these people were in tears of this land that they'd been riding for years and years and years suddenly closed down to them. And it's important to note that, you know, this isn't just a mountain bike thing. For anybody who likes taking their road bike out on gravel roads, you know, these wilderness areas, it's the same thing, whether it's single track or gravel road. Once it's a wilderness designation, you're out of there. Um, and so this is not just a, a kind of a one sport problem. But Bliss's move, I think, uh, I, I think it shows how the, the, how cycling as a whole needs to shift in terms of its view of advocacy going forward. And I think um, he can serve as a, a, a real North Star for the rest of us. Um, I'm a big fan of that guy, and I wouldn't be surprised if donations uh, to the STC double this month. Yeah, the area you were talking about in Idaho is the Boulder White Clouds Mountains area. It's about just under 300,000 acres that had been put under a new portion of the Wilderness Act called the Sawtooth National Recreational Area and Jerry Park Wilderness Additions Act. And that was pursued by a Republican, Mike Simpson of Idaho. He worked 13 years on the bill. And President Obama actually wanted to establish the area as a national monument, which would have preserved the mountain biking in the area. But since it was officially put under the Wilderness Act, it shut down the mountain biking area. Now... Here's kind of the issue. Well, I'm going to get to the Wilderness Act in a bit. First, I want to get to Fatty. Fatty, do you think, regarding the Bliss letter and the attention he's now garnered, do you think this is the thing mountain bikers want? Do they Are they looking for this type of leadership right now? It's for sure one of the things that mountain bikers want. Um, I, I have to admit I'm really of two minds regarding STC and NICA. Um I feel like uh, not Nike. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Nike is a completely different thing. Um, uh, although Nike and Imba do have a good relationship, and that's one of the things that I do like about Nike. Um, and, and I'll go ahead and follow that uh, trail for just a second. But you know, the fact that you have Imba and Nike kids working on trails together shows where Imba's true strength is. They're working on very local, close to home trails. And they are making good trails that are that will stand up to a lot of use. I personally benefit from Nike from Imba built trails on a near daily basis during the good weather time of year. Um, my hometown trails uh, were were essentially designed and built by an Imba trail care crew, and they're wonderful. That said, Imba really shot itself in the foot. 
Um, and it started way before uh, Bliss's letter. It started, as far as I know, um, back when um, Ashley Korenblatt uh, wrote a guest opinion for MTBR.com saying, and, and, and she, she has a strong affiliation with IMBA, and she wrote a long letter saying why we should not support STC. And uh, the result of that, if you look at the many comments there, was um, because of the, the way you wrote this letter and what you said, I'm going to start supporting STC. My real response to all of this is what STC is doing and the way that they are actively going after legislation is wonderful and I'm going to support them. What IMBA is doing with local trail care and local adv advocacy is wonderful and I'm going to support them. <laughs> The yep. question is, can they coexist? Absolutely. You they, know, the only problem there is IMBA. You know, IMBA yeah. needs just, you know, sorry, man up. They, they need to just do the right thing and say, yes, we support what STC is doing. Meanwhile, we're going to work on a different front. Mm. There's no reason at all that those two organizations should be in conflict. Right. What they're doing is both fantastic and both should be supported. And, and the and the conflict and the politics um, that I, I feel are IMBA created don't need to be there, and they need to be settled and resolved. And these guys need to hug it out, and let's you know everyone do what they're good at. Uh, the thing that Bliss is after here, of course, is the, is the Wilderness Act. Mm -hmm. And here's the deal with the Wilderness Act. Um, not that I know it greatly; I haven't read it cover to cover. But it was established in 1964. And one of the issues is mountain biking wasn't around in 1964. So it really made no provisions for mountain bikers. Now, there have been opportunities to open the thing up, and clearly that's what Bliss is after here. He wants to open up the Wilderness Act and get what's in there removed, which is no mechanized transportation in a wilderness area. The Act clearly states that. That's what keeps mountain bikers out once they declare a wilderness area. So he's after that. There are some other dynamics in play here for instance the sierra club massive environmental group who has lots of influence over these things the sierra club has become a little friendlier with mountain bikers because they see them as potentially as as allies in their fight for the environment they Finally. see yeah they see mountain bikers as outdoors people lovers of the outdoors which i think the three of us are we all love the outdoors and i want to protect as much area as i can of this country but we want to try and keep access to it. The Sierra Club does not think the time is right to open up the Wilderness Act. They won't go that far yet. Yes, they like mountain bikers. They're willing to put a picture of a mountain bike, mountain biker that is, on the cover of their, their monthly magazine. But they don't want to go after the Wilderness Act yet. They're more worried about Republicans trying to get rid of federal lands and turn them over to to private uh, landowners and private entities. And that's the fight that they're most concerned about right now. And they don't feel that now is the time to try and open up or change the Wilderness Act. IMBA, the, yeah, their stance on this is a, is a passive one. I think as you've described, Patrick. And that is, look, we want to work around the Wilderness Act. Let's negotiate um, case by case as these as these issues come up to designate areas for preservation um they would rather look at you know companion designations or boundary adjustments or corridors within these wilderness areas to, to hold on to trails but i think as you put patrick that it, that's a passive approach and really what they should be doing don't you think is turning that gun over to somebody and saying here you go fight that fight and that in this case would be bliss and the stc sounds like you know, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They need to embrace the STC. Um, and what's more is, you know, we all need to band together. Sierra Club, Audubon, all of these different outdoor organizations need to band together and understand, you know, the value of the strength in numbers. Because more and more, uh, our wild spaces are, are going to be under threat from things like, you know, the Keystone Pipeline, uh, you know, drilling, mining. Uh, as our population continues to grow in the country, uh, resources uh, for building homes, fueling cars, 
uh, you know, all these other things, you know, uh, gas lines to, you know, heat homes. Um, the, the requirement for, for these resources are going to put our wild spaces uh, under pressure. And, you know, we need as many warm bodies coming together for a single cause as we possibly can. You know, and Eldon, I was just listening to your interview with Austin McInerney mm -hmm. and hearing about, you know, how you can have, you know, the possibility of more than a thousand kids at a race venue. And obviously there's a need for, you know, more race venues in places so that, you know, you don't, you know, one weekend of bike racing doesn't just trash a trail system. You know, that would be a disaster. Um, but, you know, as we have this new generation of kids coming up and entering cycling, um, we need to figure out how to provide more places for them to ride. Uh, that's a real responsibility we face, you know, get somebody into the sport and then give them no place to ride. That won't work. Right, the pace line headed to the feed zone and uh, we're going to pick up our musette bags now and take a look inside the feed bag a new segment for us um first in there something i'm going to call the move over law has uh, gone into effect in california move over how many times have you heard that from a driver it's now a law actually bicycles with five or more cars behind them are required to pull over at the next available turnout or when they have adequate space to do so. That law went into effect January 1st in the state of California. Of course, the three-foot law still applies. So if you do pull over, the motorist still has to give you three feet. But kind of, is this a law? Is this a, do we really need this law? I always ask that when you see this type of thing. Are these, are these legislators really thinking before they put these things before us? What do you think, Patrick? Is California need to to tell cyclists move over on the books. Can I just frame this in terms of there was no discussion of this law in any significant way until, oh, by the way, they're passing this law where for years and years, Moonbeam Brown vetoed the three-foot law. We had to work years and years to try to get him to pass that law. And then suddenly, you know, in December, I hear about this law and boom, it's enacted. Um, I, I'm just amazed at, at how quickly and easily this thing went. It's like, wow, you really still don't like bikes. Um, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm outraged by that. But the law itself is preposterous. I mean, I think why, you know, yeah, I think why it didn't get the coverage maybe we were both expecting is because the law actually already existed. It simply applied to cars. It said any car that was moving along and backing up traffic with more than five cars behind them was required to move over. And what, they, what the author of the law did was just simply add the word cyclist into that law and said, okay, now it includes all essentially moving vehicles on a roadway have to move over if they're backing up traffic. But you're right. I mean, when I researched it today, I could find almost no coverage on the darn thing. And suddenly now, here it is before us, we have to pull over. Oh, and it's, it's just dumb as hell because, I mean, really, once there are three cars behind me, you know, I can't tell if there are more than three cars. Yeah. And the machinations that I would have to go through in terms of making sure that I've pulled into the middle of the lane so that I can turn around long enough to then count the number of cars behind me is going to piss off all of the drivers far worse than if I just stay at the right side of the road. Okay. Fatty, it's another um, reason to, to live in a less populated area, right? I mean, where you got open roads. There aren't five cars in Alpine. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. Here's another one. Here's another one of those laws. Really? Do we need this? Remember those bike? Did you guys ever have one of those big high bike flags on on your bike? Maybe you had a Schwinn um, with a banana seat, and you put the big flag, the big whip flag up there. There's a Missouri state lawmaker. I'm not kidding. I almost couldn't yep. believe this one. I saw. There's a Missouri state lawmaker who wants to require those on bicycles. He even has a spec that the pole 
The whip pole has to be 15 feet high with a flag attached to it if you're operating a bicycle on any state or county road in the state of Missouri. That's, That's going to present a danger for low-flying vehicles. That's going to present a danger for the rider. Yeah. <laughs> he, look, yeah. the, the yeah. name of the... By the way, if you want to send cards and letters to the legislator or an email, his name is a J. Hufton or Hofton, a Republican state lawmaker from Missouri. And he admitted, look, this bill is excessive. He said he's actually trying to make a point with the bill. He said, what I hope for is that by getting people talking about the issue of bicycle safety on the highways, the idea would be to get bicyclers on safer roads. In other words, generate a conversation where we're building safer roads and wider bike lanes for cyclists. And he's using this bill to kind of point that out. Well, why doesn't he just, instead of introducing a goofy bill like this, introduce some legislation that allocates some money to build some more bike lanes and more safer streets yeah. for cyclists? I mean, why waste the time? Makes, it just makes him look hostile to cycling. And I mean, really, a 15-foot flagpole? So you're going to put a flag 15 feet up in the air. You know, newsflash, nobody is looking at what's going on 15 feet in the air. You know, they're looking at, you know, up to about, you know, eight feet high because that's going to cover all of the cars and trucks that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So, it, again, just preposterous. Yep. I hate this stuff. I know. He's failed before. The good news is he's a bad track record with cyclists. He tried to introduce a bill that said um, that cyclists, and how did it go here? He targeted cyclists in 2013. He co-sponsored a bill that would ban cyclists from state roads if there was a state-owned bike trail within two miles of the highway. That one got, thankfully, Oh, I remember killed. that one. Yeah, yeah. Good job there. So, uh, finally, in the feedback, something worthy of space in our jersey pockets. And it comes from a great singer, but he's kind of a terrible bike rider. Bono of YouTube. Bono recently held an auction through the Red campaign. Now, Red does some really great work trying to stop the spread of HIV from moms to their babies. And they need money to do this, of course. Their goal is lofty. They want to end pregnancy-related infections. Worldwide, 600 babies a day are born HIV positive. Now, obviously, this is something Bono can get behind, and he did so by offering to go on a bike ride in Central Park with the highest bidder of an auction. The auction's um, closed, but it's still worth hearing from Bono on this because, remember, a little more than a year ago, he crashed hard in Central Park. I mean, he hurt himself pretty darn good. But he turned yep. that fall into a really uh, good cause. And we want to play a little of what Bono had to say as he tried to attract bidders. Join me for a bike ride and really live on the edge. We'll ride, we'll laugh, we'll snap a few selfies, talk about our favorite albums, geopolitics, and I'll tell you what it's like to suffer a facial fracture involving the orbit of your eye and having your elbow redone in titanium and enduring the torture of 18 months of physical therapy with a satanic German physio. Good times. If we all survive, we'll go for an ice cream. So I know we're not doing uh, podiums for the show, but if we were, I'd put Bono on the top step. Love what he did here. I mean, he was hurt pretty bad, but he turned it into something pretty cool. And uh, really happy for what he did. Good, good humored guy. Good guy. Good cause. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, that last little bit was maybe not the best way to sell cycling, though. <laughs> <laughs> Riding along on my pushback, honey. You look so fine as you were riding along. Thanks for finding the pace line again. We have uh, more shows in the works for you. Haven't heard the last from us, but uh, for now, we're going to pull over and let the cars pass just like they want us to do, at least in the state of California. Uh, Fatty, what's going on in the uh, fatty cyclist, fatty cast world? Oh, well, um, training for the True Grit Epic, first mountain bike uh, race of the season coming up soon. Mm-hmm. So it's it's already begun for me. As far as um, and the fatty cast, we're going to be having uh, Megan Hotman, uh, who is the cyclist lawyer on the fatty cast. Also have uh, Doug Ullman, uh, formerly the CEO of Livestrong on the fatty cast coming up soon. I've got uh, a guy who put together a fantastic film about a free ride superstar um, on the Paddy cast. So lots of good interviews coming up on that. Excellent. Patrick, hey, do buddy, Red Kite Prayer, any highlights there? Uh, well, I am currently in Westlake Village, not terribly far from you, getting ready to attend a winter press camp. So 
I'll be meeting with a bunch of manufacturers here over the next few days. Cool. Look forward to that. As always, we love the gear on the pace line, so we'll be uh, adding that to some future shows. I'm Michael Houghton, at Michael Houghton on Twitter, and you can find me as well at redkiteprayer.com. This has been The Pace Line. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye-bye. I refuse to work under these conditions. I've stood beside that bicycle all day. A f***ing bike. <laughs>